Cinnabon. 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 Cinnabon
<laughs> and uh, although I, I have no intention of serving my kids just pure broccoli for dinner, I, I love to, to say things like that because it gets a reaction out of them. What's your first reaction to some of the challenges that you're going through? What's your first reaction when God puts different tests in your life? Do you complain? Do you get angry? Untrusting? Doubtful? Anxious? Once again, Jesus knew what he was going to do. He said this only to test them. Wow. Let's see what happens in verse 7. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy of five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? I mean, I got two sardines and a little bit of bread around here. How far are they going to go? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the signs Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. I mean, what an incredible miracle. The the feeding of 5,000 men. And and I've been over to the brother's house, and I know that those brothers can eat. (laughs) 5,000 dudes. That doesn't even count the women and the children. 5,000 guys were fed through Jesus. See, Jesus is the bread of life. You know, I love looking at the scripture. Because each of Jesus' disciples had a different response to the test. Philip's response is, hey, Jesus, this would, take, this would take so much. It would be more than half a year's wages in order for us to buy each person just even a bite of bread. In other words, Jesus, what you're asking us to do is just not worth it. The, the, the cost-benefit ratio is just not there. It doesn't make sense for us to use all this effort, all this money, to get such a small result. Andrew's response was a little different. He was quick to point out this little boy. He goes, Jesus, here's a guy. He's got food. He's he's a little boy. He's got five loaves of bread and two fish. Interestingly, the Bible records that these were barley loaves. And barley loaves, if you study it out, were reserved typically for those that were poor. And so here's a small little poor kid. A little bit of bread. Two small sardines. and, And Andrew goes... Here's, here's what he's got. Here's what he has. But how far will they go among so many? But you know, I think out of all the people who responded to the test of Jesus, the one who was the most faithful was the little boy himself. There was no hesitation on his part. No, no hesitation to give up his lunch. I mean, 5,000 guys, are you going to give up your one lunch for everybody? Yes, here's what I got. Here's my bread. Here's my fish. Just take it. You see, Philip looked at what he didn't have. Andrew looked at what others had. But the boy was willing to give everything that he had. 
What was what was the test of Jesus right here? Well, in truth, it really wasn't about how far they would go, the loaves and the fishes. It was about how far the disciples would go. Did they really believe that Jesus was the bread of life, that he was everything they needed, and through him, they could do anything? Amen. Our first point this morning, or this evening, is how far will you go? Whoa. How far will you go? You know, I, I love counting the cost of people and preparing them for the waters of, of baptism. And, uh, you know, one of the, the most obvious ways you can kind of tell when someone's ready is there's a change of mentality. They, they kind of go from feeling like they're giving something up to feeling like they're getting something. Oh. And, and that's really the perspective that we should have as Christians. Like, wow, we're not, we're not losing anything by, by leaving the world and becoming Christians. We're really gaining so much. On, we don't deserve the things that God gives us as Christians, the sustenance that God gives us, the fulfillment that God gives us, the grace, the forgiveness, the mercy that God gives us, the family that God gives us. Amen. And yet, as true it is, as it is, when we become Christians, that we're not losing anything, what we're gaining, it's amazing how sometimes things can change yeah. as we begin, we begin to live out our Christianity. We begin to live out our, our discipleship. But we start looking for other things to sustain us, other things to fulfill us, other things besides Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus isn't enough anymore. And so we begin reacting to the test differently. We start reacting to the test like, Philip, is it even worth it? Is the amount of time, the amount of effort, the amount of sweat, tears, is it even worth it? Is it worth it for me to give all these things up when I'm not seeing a, an immediate benefit for all of my labor or my sacrifice? Mm. Or we can have a heart like Andrew. We, we start looking at everybody else's lunch. Huh. Right? But you go, dude, Andrew, why didn't you bring lunch? Where was, where was your food that you were supposed to bring? And sometimes we can lack preparation. And we're not ready to be used by God. Boom. And so we, we start to, to even wonder, is it even possible for God to do anything with our life? But in reality, the fact is, we're, we're just not really spiritually prepared for God to do anything in our life. But God ultimately wants us to have the heart of the little boy. Yeah, I, I've got something to give. And I want to give everything I have. Use me. Use this. I believe that God can do anything through me. You know, it's amazing when you think about the faith of children. It's, it's incredible how trusting children are. They, they can believe some of the craziest things. You know, it's fun. Uh, um, a long time ago when my son was about three or four years old, he had these uh, Captain America pajamas. And uh, he, he really wanted to complete the whole thing. And so he, he prayed at night. He goes, God, please, please give me a Captain America mask. Well, we thought it was cute, you know, and so he prayed this several times. And uh, one day, my wife and I were in the mall sharing our faith, and, and we had a little playground in the mall that we were at. And so we would let our, our son play, and we would share their, our faith with the parents that were kind of letting their kids play in this little playground. Well, we were, weren't really paying attention, but all of a sudden, as we looked over, my son Chase comes out of the playground with the Captain America mask. And we're like, son, what, what in the world? I mean, where'd you get this Captain America mask? He goes, oh, I met this little kid over here, and, and he gave me his mask. 
Well, I, I, I think that's awesome and that's incredible. But I was like, you know, son, I, I think this is great, but I don't want to steal someone else's mask. <laughs> so I, I went over and I talked to the little kid, and the little kid sure enough goes, yeah, I gave him my mask. I go, well, that's, that's amazing. That's great. Thank you so much. But let's go and talk to your mother. And so we went over and talked to his mom, and his mom goes, yeah, yeah, he can have it. In fact, we've got several Captain America masks, and so he can go ahead and have this. God gave my son a Captain America <laughs> because he had faith that he was going to get him something. He believed it without hesitation. Yeah. And he prayed for it, believing that God was going to do something great. And you know what? God did something great. You know, when we're living in L.A., my son prayed for snow. Yeah, L.A. It doesn't snow in L.A. It hasn't snowed in L.A. for 60-plus for years. Well, my son prayed for it. He goes, I want, I want snow. And all of a sudden, my wife saw a little a post that they were bringing snow to Orange County in L.A. And it was artificial snow, but snow nonetheless. And so once again, my son prayed for snow, and the Lord gave him snow. The faith of a child. You see, we start off having faith. We all start off believing in crazy things that God can do amazing things. But so often as we grow up, we start to experience disappointment. We start to experience heartbreak or failed expectations. And all of a sudden, we learn not to have faith anymore. Do you have the faith that this little boy had in Scripture? To give up his lunch as a poor child, two small sardines few little barley loaves, and to go, you know what, God, I think you're going to do something incredible with what I have. Man. How far will you go? That's great. You know, we've got our, our special missions contribution coming up. Oh. <laughs> you know, the reason why it's a struggle is because the bread of life for us becomes our money oh. and not Jesus. Oh. That, that's ultimately why it becomes a struggle for us to give up money for the Lord. You know, I really believe that this is the challenge for the first world countries. You know, we're fortunate to not live in a nation where there's heavy persecution. Where our lives are not in danger because of our faith. There are disciples around the world whose lives are are in danger because of Christianity. We're blessed and fortunate to not have that issue. But I believe that everybody and every church has a cost. They have a challenge. For us in the first century, I believe that our challenge is we're greedy. But we can rely and depend upon our money. And I believe that God puts the challenge of us sacrificing our money, being generous with our finances, to test our hearts. To see really if Jesus is the bread of life for us. You know, we believe that, that special missions is, is not a salvation issue for us. You, you cannot give your special missions contribution goal. And, of course, you're, you're still a great disciple who would never consider you not to be a disciple. It's not a it's not a salvation issue for us. That's true. But you see, it can be a salvation issue for others. Oh, because it's the it's what's used for us to be able to expand oh. and reach more and more people. But what, what, what was your, your first reaction? What is your first reaction to the test of special missions contribution? Is it to complain? To grumble? Is it a Phillips reaction? How far will it go? We don't have enough. It's not worth it. Or is it an Andrew reaction? You know, I hope everybody else gives. But I don't want to give up my lunch. In fact, I don't even have a lunch to give. (laughs) See, we've got to have the heart of a little boy 
how far will you go? My second point is, where will you go? Where will you go? You guys with me here? Yeah. Can't hear us though. I can't hear you. I'm just looking at your faces. I hope. Come on, bro. Come on, bro. John chapter 16 and verse 15. And the Bible says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, wow. withdrew again to a mountain by himself. You know, right here, the people were so inspired by Jesus that they literally wanted to, to force him to become king. They were looking for a physical kingdom. We know that Jesus was trying to establish a spiritual kingdom. And so the Bible says he withdrew to a mountain by himself. Verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. Isn't that cool? I mean, Jesus was like cranking, man. He was so <laughs> I mean, here he is. He's just, he's just walking on the water. <laughs> what are you doing with your free time? He's just, he's just chilling. Just floating a little bit of the hovering above the water. I mean, he had to be messing with these guys. I mean, he had to be messing with these guys. I mean, who walks on water? <laughs> here he is, the Bible says he just, he's just like everybody else is, is freaked out because the winds and the waves and the, they're, they're growing and there's a storm. And, and there Jesus is, he's just walking on the water. He's like, dude, it's just cool. You guys are freaked out. I'm over here walking on this stuff. He says they were frightened. He said to them, it is, it is I, don't be afraid. When they were willing to take him to the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. You know, such a cool scripture. I mean, Jesus walking on water. Only two people ever did it. And I'm not talking about ice. Jesus walked on water. He eventually has Peter walk on water. It's all amazing. Turn over to Mark's account. Mark, Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. You know, sometimes it's, it's helpful to read multiple accounts of the same story to get the perspective that the Bible wants us to have. Yeah. And I got some nuggets for you guys right here. If you look at Mark, Mark chapter six, you guys ready for some nuggets? Yeah. yeah. That's Mark chapter six, verse forty-five. Forty-five. Right here, we find the same story, the same instance: Jesus feeding the five thousand, and then Jesus walking on water. The Bible says immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Interesting, he made his disciples. Get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars. You ever strain at the oars spiritually? Because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. 
Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage and desire, do not be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Interesting. When they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. You know, there's uh, several differences that Mark records right here, or several details that, that John neglects in his telling of the story that, that Mark includes. Number one is in verse 45. We find that Jesus made his disciples get in the boat. They didn't want to get in the boat. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. In verse 52, we find that the disciples' hearts were hardened. The disciples' hearts were hardened because they ultimately did not understand the lesson wow. of the bread, the loaves. But the most interesting is verse 45 and 53. The Bible says they went on ahead of him to Bethsaida, but in verse 53 it says they actually landed after Jesus got into the boat at Gennesaret. You go, well, what's going on right here? Well, you know, I have a map which I think will help you to understand what's going on. Oh, look at that. We find right here that they start off in Tiberias, which is right here. Hmm. They head to Bethsaida ahead of Jesus. Bethsaida is this region right here, Capernaum, Bethsaida. There's Bethsaida Galilee, and there's Bethsaida Julius. And then in John's account, it says Capernaum. So really, it's this whole region right here on the top of the lake. But they finally end up in Gennesaret, over here. Well, remember, Jesus dismissed them and told them to go to Capernaum. But they end up, or excuse me, to Gennesaret. They end up in Gennesaret. You know, well, what's, what's, what's happening right here? Go to John, chapter 1, verse 44. One Bible study. Chapter what? One. Chapter 1. John, chapter 1, verse 44. No, nobody. Nobody. Oh, oh, pal. <laughs> the Bible says Philip, like Andrew, and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Bethsaida. So Jesus sent them to Gennesaret, but instead of going to Gennesaret, where'd they go? Home. Bethsaida. Well, what, what is special about Bethsaida? That's where they were from. That was their home. What, what's the point? Well, we know that the disciples' hearts were hard because they didn't understand about the loaves. And so they started out to Bethsaida because ultimately they were trying to go home. But once Jesus got in the boat, because the disciples were straining against the oars, he steers them back where he wanted them to go, to Gennesaret. You guys with me right here, guys? Yeah. Well, what's my, what's my point? You know, a lot of times, we can stop yeah. doing what God wants us to do and instead run back to our comfort zones. Wow. Run back wow. to our home, oh, so yeah, to speak. Yeah. You know, and I ask you, what have you been running away from in your own life? What have you been running away from in your own life? When things get uncomfortable for you spiritually, do you go into Netflix, binging on movies and videos and TV series? 
And you know how Netflix likes to just kind of rope you in, you get done with one little TV show and then there's that little next episode button that just kind of slides right over and, and before you can stop it, it starts and then once it starts, I mean, you're committed, right? <laughs> Come on, bro. Come on, into <laughs> pornography, oh, masturbation, and feel justified because it's a little comfortable and surely you need to go there to get a little relief from the discomfort. But what about sleep? Do we try to escape dealing with the areas of our life that are uncomfortable through sleeping, oversleeping? You know, for me, one of the areas that I've been struggling with is, is weight gain. And i got to be honest, sometimes when I get more uncomfortable, I like to go to food. And uh, I love I love to get some good food and, and, and there's nothing like some Coke Zero and tacos or some nachos. Yeah. And uh, lately, although it might seem like a strange combination, I've, getting it, I've been getting into eating uh, dates and brie cheese. It's okay, we got, ah, it's okay, we got dinner over here. We used to wear combos. How bad has it been getting to me? <laughs> well, sadly, uh, you know, I lost uh, about 30 pounds in the summertime. It got all the way down to about 208 pounds. Bruh. Bruh. Over the last three and a half months, I've gained weight all the way back to where I'm now 225 pounds. I mean, how about it? It's okay. What, what are we running to instead of running to Jesus? Let's be real. Instead of doing what God wants us to do, where are we running? We're trying to run to the things that are comfortable instead of running back to Jesus. You know what's interesting? The Bible says... That Jesus, while he was walking on the water, he came out there, and the Bible says he saw the disciples straining at the oars. You know, there he is. He's just chilling on the water. I mean, waves are going everywhere. Wind's blowing everywhere. He's just walking on water, and there the disciples are. <laughs> and they ain't going nowhere. And isn't it true that we try to be a disciple and at the same time run away from the areas of discomfort, that it only leads to a straining at the oars spiritually? Come on, Leads to spiritual frustration. You know, some of us know that we should be out sharing our faith more. But we've been straining at the oars as a Christian. Some of us know that we should be having better quiet times. But we've just been trucking along and straining at the oars as a Christian. Some of us know that, that there is conflict that we should be dealing with and working through with other, other brothers or sisters. Maybe even in our marriage. Cross married guys. But instead of really resolving the conflict and being humble, we just pr- go forward and start straining at the oars spiritually. Hmm. You know, if there's one thing that I've learned as a Christian, as I've been a Christian for almost 20 years, is that it's just a lot easier to go where God tells you to go. Man. Instead of just straining at the oars, Come on. trying to be a Christian, but trying not to be a Christian at the same time. Where... Will you go? Where will you go? Where Jesus wants? Or where it's most comfortable for you? Mm. You know, I, I really appreciate it. I want to lift up uh, Ghislaine. Hey. I appreciate so much uh, his, his conviction. But right now, Ghislaine is working full-time. Got two kids. On top of that, I mean, he's, he's had a, a number of different things. You know, I mean, uh, from COVID quarantines to... Family, situational things, uh, and there's just been a lot. And, and in spite of you know having many quote excuses to not go and share his faith, he took the guys out tonight in the cold, face to face, 
and shared their faith. Man. And it's awesome to hear that he met a, a Nigerian guy that's open to studying the Bible. That, that's really the heart that we have to have as disciples. Where where will you go? Where will you go? You see, just Lane has deep convictions because he's strained at the oars before. He's been there many a times. And so he knows that it's just better to do what God is calling you to do. Where will you go? Finally, our last point. To whom to whom shall you go? To whom shall you go? John chapter 6 and verse 35. What is the scripture? John 6, 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Isn't that awesome? That was the heart of Jesus. Verse 53. Jesus said to the very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Wow. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I am in them. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because the Father so uh, so because and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum. Verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, "This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it?" Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Oh my gosh. Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? <laughs> the Spirit gives life. The flesh comes for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Wow. You do not want to leave too, do you? The first one Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, right here, Jesus was making it quite clear to the Jewish people that if they wanted to get to heaven, they would have to give up their their old Jewish theology. And they would have to repent and embrace the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Christ. That the manna of the Old Testament was not the key to salvation, but really, Jesus was that manna. He was that bread whose teachings that when we eat them, when we accept them, when we, we ingest them into our lives... We ultimately are, are taking in what will lead to eternal life. And yet even Jesus' disciples responded by saying, man, this is a hard teaching. This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? You know, I've got a conviction. If it's not hard teaching, then it's not Jesus' teaching. If it's not a hard teaching, it's not Jesus' teaching. 
And so many people, sadly, want to go down to the corner church on their street where there's taut, wimpy, nabby-pammy, easy, superficial, denominational version of Christianity. That, that's just not Jesus' teachings. Jesus' teachings were hard teaching. And the Bible says from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You know what I love about this scripture? Is that Jesus doesn't chase them down. Yeah, that's deep. He doesn't run after these people. In fact, he even looks at his disciples that were left, and he goes, hey, you guys want to go too? And, of course, Peter goes, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I love that guy. You see, you don't get to heaven by having Jesus chase after you. You get to heaven when you realize that you need to chase after Jesus. Do people have to chase after you? Let's be real. Sometimes we even make our disciples chase after us. Nobody's calling me. No, who are you calling? Nobody's checking up on me. Does Jesus have to chase after you? Nobody's spending time with me. I'm not getting encouragement. So-and-so didn't say hi to me at church. Are you waiting for someone to chase after you? Or are you going after chasing after Jesus? You know, once again, Peter didn't go anywhere. He didn't leave Jesus aside. In fact, Peter goes, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have become we've come to believe and know that you are the holy one of God. I mean, wow, even even Peter got it right. I mean, even Peter got it right. He's always saying the wrong thing. He's always doing the wrong thing. But he got this one right. He goes, Where should we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know, there's so much drama in the world. Isn't there? I mean, there's so much drama right now. I mean, there's political drama. I mean, turn on the news. It's depressing. The right versus the left. Conservatives versus liberals. Republicans versus Democrats. You know what's amazing? Is both of them think that they're on the side of good versus evil. And the other side is the devil. This racial drama. People who think that the most important thing in the world is the color of their skin. Or the color of someone else's skin. Financial drama. Okay, that would, that would be a room for some of us right there. We got bills. Debt. I mean, man, retirement, retirement's coming up for some of us. Oh my gosh, what do we do? Come on, Rich. Come on, Rich. We got personal, relational, whatever drama. You got your own drama. Some of us got a lot of drama. Like Jim Kasosi, bro, you got a lot of drama. You with me right here, guys? Kevin? Oh. Walking drama. <laughs> Walking, breathing, eating. Let him out! Let him out! And 
scriptures, we have the answer to every type of drama there is. We have the words to eternal life right here. You know, it was amazing on Sunday to see Kim Argy baptized. Hey! And, uh, you know, it's funny. He's, he's always so lively and bubbly. And then, and then when it came time for him to share uh, from his heart, he just, he just froze. <laughs> because there was so much emotions going on inside of him. Yeah, a little nervous as he was sharing, and was in tears, and it was amazing. He didn't even know, uh, the words couldn't come out. And then all of a sudden, he goes into the waters of baptism. He gets baptized, comes out of the water, and I swear it was like a different person. I mean, he was changed. In fact, he, he wouldn't stop talking. In fact, he even started singing to us his whole life story on the guitar. Dude, the scriptures have the power to change everything. You want to hear that? Yeah. The scriptures have the power to change everything. And what we have in the scriptures is just so special. It's incredible. There's nothing like it. There's nothing else that can change us or change those around us and ultimately can change the world. We have the words of eternal life right here. You see, there's Jesus. And then there's nothing. Oh, Jesus is the bread of life. He's our source of strength, our source of energy. He's what fills us. He's everything that's good in life, and he's everything we need out of life. Jesus is it, the bread of life. To whom shall we go? You know, I, I love, I love our church. I love our church. I, I love our men's ministry. I remember, you know, about three and a half years oh, ago, Rich. our first men's midweek session. Oh, gosh. I mean, there was about five of us at Mel Lastman Park. Mar-a-Liza. Put it up in a little gazebo. A joke. And then it started raining. And it started pouring. And so there we were, huddled up, and we were a little cold, and it was wet. And, and I was trying to preach a sermon, and all of a sudden, some homeless, homeless guys dude. came up and started talking to us in the middle of my sermon. <laughs> I mean, that's where we started from. But look where we're at because of the words of life, the words of eternal life. The Bible changes everything. You with right here, guys? Exactly. There have been many disciples from then till now that have walked away, who said this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? But now we've got 40 disciples. Forty disciples that like Peter have said to him, you have the words of eternal life. You know, this year, we have five essential goals for the church. Our first goal is that we want to have 30 people baptized this year. You know, very exciting. There's another people get baptized in the next couple of weeks. We need to be praying for Ian. We need to be praying for Byron. Praying for Alex. Praying for those that are also there are so many people spend the Bible that really want what we have. But we want to get to 30 baptisms by the end of this year. You guys with me right here, guys? We want to get the church to 60 disciples by the end of the year. 60 disciples. Remember, we started out with just a small little handful of us. And look at what God has done over the last three years. And I believe that God can do incredible things this year and that we can get the church to 60 disciples, which will allow us to start talking about planning another church. In Canada, you know, we want to get to fifty thousand dollars of missions contribution. Come on, dollars of missions contribution. Raise that money. Yeah, we've almost done that before, but we've never quite passed the threshold oh, of no, getting no. to fifty thousand dollars. But I believe we can do it because we have disciples that believe that these hold the words of eternal life. Oh, you know, we want to get the church to where we split up into two regions. Woo! 
And so we split off into two different groups that meet separately throughout the week. And on Sundays, we want to see two regions happening in the church. And finally, we want to appoint an evangelist and women's ministry leader. Oh, Through their training and through their spirituality and through their faith, we know that they will raise up and teach and, and, and make disciples that will eventually make disciples and make disciples to change the city that they're sent to. We want to see an evangelist and women's ministry leader raise up. And no, I'm sorry, Isaiah is not the women's ministry leader. We <laughs> <laughs> got one How far will you go? I believe Jesus is testing us. Jesus is pushing us. He wants to see where you're at, what you're going to do, how you're going to respond. Is it going to be like Andrew? Is it going to be like Philip? Or is it going to be like that little boy that just said, hey, take what I have and do something awesome with it? Where will you go? Are you going to strain at the oars, trying to avoid where God is sending you? Trying to avoid the uncomfort, the discomfort that comes with obeying the will of God? The discomfort of sharing your faith, the discomfort of having great quiet times, the discomfort of being sacrificial in your life, the, the discomfort of encouraging everyone else and giving to everyone else. And lastly, to whom shall you go? You know, guys, at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. And because it's all about Jesus, it's going to be a little hard. Because if it ain't hard, it ain't Jesus. But where else can we go? There's nothing else out there. Straight Jesus up. holds the word of eternal life. Because ultimately, Jesus is the bread of life. I love you guys. God bless. Let's have a time of response for the lesson. Let's talk with Brandon. Can I uh, wow. I just want to say, first thing, that was an amazing